Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Ooh, Barracuda. And my adulthood chum, Minty Booth. It's a blasted masterpiece. A blasterpiece. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement. Announcement. Before we dive into the episode, we want to give the usual shout-out to the other platforms we're currently occupying. Please do check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to that if you haven't already. We've got some great videos on there from the brilliant Hard Drop mini-series that Chris is making about obscure Tetris-alike games to our streaming content, including mine and Chris's playthrough Streets of Rage 4, and we're still working hard at producing a playthrough video of Chris tackling my super world from Super Mario Maker 2. So do check out what we have there and stay tuned for even more. Also, please do check out our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash our three cents. We've got loads of amazing perks available for those lovely ones of you who have a few squiddies spare a month to chuck our way. We'd very much appreciate it. We've also rejigged the pledging tiers recently as well, so there's even more bang available for your buck. We've got deleted <laughs> scenes and outtakes, full bonus episodes, including our most recent one, all about the very best mini games inside video games, and there's even the chance to record an episode with us. And get this the chance to get some custom artwork created by these six luscious hands. So please do check that out. So this week we have our 34th favourite video games of all time. Three and a four. It's creme de la creme time. Creme de la flipping creme. Mm. Creme everywhere. Creme Pat (laughs) and his black and white cat. (laughs) (laughs) What? But before we get into that, it's time to return to the quiz. Up the quiz. Okay. I slipped a little last week, so I'm ready. Here I go. <clears throat> yeah, you're trailing by three points, Minty, with uh, 31 points to Chris's mighty 34. So three let's and a four. see if you can pull one back. Hmm. What does the word Atari mean in Japanese? Ugh, um, excitement. I'm going to say it's something to do with like a big cat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, neither of you are right, so I'm going to give the point to who got closest, and one of you got decidedly closer than the other. <laughs> <laughs> and the point goes to Minty. Whoa, right, right. What does it mean? Let me just let me just break down mine before you reveal the answer. It's because Atari made a series of consoles that all had cat names in them. Like they had a Lynx, they had a Jaguar, stuff like that. So I, I thought maybe ah, they had some go. connection. Mm. So I wasn't going completely just off piste. <laughs> there was there was logic there. There yeah, was logic yeah. there. The the correct answer is to receive something fortuitously or to hit the target. So it's a a celebratory feeling, a celebration. One you could almost say excitement. Well, okay, I... he can have it today. D- dirty points, but I'll take it. <laughs> Grubby it's points. It's closer than a bloody cat. <laughs> Big yeah. cat. Big cat. I'd pick Come up on. a 20 that was poking out some dog shit. It's 20 quid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and in that spirit, what have we been playing this week? I'll tell you what I've been playing this week. Go on then. If you like. Go on. Obviously still ticking along with Animal Crossing. Great fun. Absolutely great. No sign of slowing down there. I haven't played any more of 51 Worldwide Classics or Golf With Your Friends since last week because I've been pretty much exclusively tied up with Xenoblade Chronicles, which is 
continues to delight and amaze. I've now got past the point that I did when I got stuck in the 3DS version. Hey. Yeah, yeah, which is great. That's definitely cause for celebration. I have ended up keeping casual mode on more than I intended, just because, I mean, it's, it's just nice not having to worry about that too much. And it also eliminates the need for any grinding as well, which yeah. is obviously just just gets quite annoying. But, I mean, I, I don't know whether or not it's been tweaked in this version at all, but I, I feel there's like a more of a natural progression sort of curve in terms of levelling up in this. I mean, it might, it might just be that I'm approaching it differently. I don't know. But, like, so when I reach like a definite kind of note in the story beat, I usually take a bit of a breather, go and do some side quests, and when I'm off doing those, I'll often like veer off course to chart some of the map that I've missed out on before. And when I'm doing that, that's when I come up against like a bunch of creatures that are like massively higher leveled than the others in that area, which is obviously why I avoided it like the plague when I was first going through it. But now I find I'm about the right level to take them on. So it, it feels like I'm, I'm, I'm progressing through the game in the right way at the right sort of pace. And yeah, I'm having a wonderful time. Like the main story is fantastic. I love it. I love the characters. I'm loving solving the little side quests. I just helped a little boy make friends because he was really shy, so I had to deliver a letter to him. That was that was very sweet. Aww. Obviously, whilst the world is going to shit, that's the sort of stuff that you need to tie your time up with. Easily, yeah. And I'm now sort of developing the character's relationship affinities by sort of I'm changing up my party a little bit just so there the relationship sort of deepens between different characters to to unlock some of the more heart to heart moments that you can access. I mean it's just oh, it's just gorgeous. I really like the affinity map in the original. Yeah. Like it's expansive. You can see that oh <laughs> doesn't like boop stole bread from boop. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Usually in games you just say oh that's just a character that's over there that sells you items. This one over here mm. just talks about when will my son come back from the war? That sort of thing. So it's nice <laughs> to just see a visual representation of how all the different people in the colonies interact. Yeah. And it just gives you a, a good sense of this is a place where people live. It, yeah. It hums with activity. It breathes. Absolutely. Lovely. Really nice. It's the best example in the game to show people to say this game is huge and in-depth. Like, there's loads of stuff in the game, from obviously all of the party mechanics and, like, gem crafting and the collectopedia, but to really showcase just how much thought and effort and work has gone into this game, you look at that affinity map and you just go, holy shit, that's amazing. Like, <laughs> amazing. So good. Amazing. <laughs> and it, does, it rewards you as well for, like, developing those relationships. It's not just, you know, to say you've done it, you get access to exclusive items or... In case, in the case of the main party, access to those heart-to-heart moments that really uh, enrich the story. I think that if I'd played this version instead of the 3DS version, it probably would have placed higher on my list. Having said that, even though the battle system in Xenoblade 2 was like a lot more complex, it was also a lot more satisfying to pull off like massive cross-elemental chain attacks and stuff when when you did get your head around it. But I mean, obviously, there's there's still plenty to keep your head in a bit of a whirl with this battle system anyway but I, I, yeah i think that's that's the only the only downside is that yeah i do think that the battle system i think it's it's a it's a more refined battle system in in xenoblade 2 which um but still like i said it's still just great and really really good fun the other game i've been playing is a game that i backed on a kickstarter campaign quite some time ago like it, i mean it really was quite some time ago I can't remember exactly when it was, but it's called uh, Summer in Mara, and it's, I think, probably best described as a mashup between Animal Crossing, Harvest Moon, and 
Zelda The Wind Waker. That's a good mashup. It's a good, it's a bloody good mashup. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can see I, it ticked many boxes, yeah. and I was I, I threw my money at it. And I've been getting some of like the really nice perks from the campaign through the post over the last few months, like a really nice art book and some stickers and some collectibles and stuff. And finally, I got a download code for the game, which arrived last week. At the point of recording, I think it's coming out this week now properly. So I've, I've managed to get ahead a, a of the curb a little bit. Now, when I backed it so enthusiastically, this was a time before Animal Crossing had come out on the Switch. And Summer Mara tapped right into that craving that I think everyone had at that time. And... Now that it's come out and I've sunk 300 hours into Animal Crossing, I don't quite have the same desperation to play it as I did when I first backed it. But I I have booted it up and given it a quick whirl. And it is, yeah, it's really, really, it is nice. It's really nice. It looks and sounds absolutely gorgeous. And you can tell there's there's a lot of depth in the game and, and obviously a lot for me to explore. But at the moment, the thing it's kind of lacking is that same level of design and slickness when it comes to managing the user interface. And it makes me really appreciate just how intuitive and thought out Animal Crossing is. Yeah. And I know that, you know, we've had quite a few sort of grumbles about additional features that should be in there to sort of help smooth things out or speed things up in Animal Crossing. But like there's loads of stuff that probably didn't even occur to me because it just feels so natural that has in fact been meticulously thought out and designed for the best user experience in Animal Crossing. Yeah, and some of that is sort of lacking just in the way that you sort of navigate menus and access crafting. It just doesn't quite doesn't quite feel right. But they, they have said that some patches are on the way for some little bugs here and there that have been discovered. So, you know, I'm sure it will find its way to sort of the level of polish that, you know, I think obviously everybody wants for it. And yes, it's easy to forget that... <laughs> Obviously, the team that developed this game is a little bit smaller than <laughs> Nintendo. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that Summer in Mara does have to sort of definitively differentiate itself from Animal Crossing is that it doesn't run in real time. So it's got the potential for that really addictive nature that Stardew Valley has that I spoke about a few weeks ago. Oh dear. But it also means that you can't <laughs> take it quite at the relaxed pace that I'm used to and really enjoy in Animal Crossing. And you need to like keep an eye on your energy meter and keep your character fed so they don't die and things like that. That I mean, I'm too preoccupied with having to keep a handle on that in real life, but I really <laughs> don't want that creeping into my escapism. But I will continue to dip my toes in its lovely azure waters and I'll keep you updated, obviously, with how it unfolds. But yeah, I, I am looking forward to playing uh, playing a bit more of it. How about you guys, Chris? What have you played this week? I've not played much in the way of like big experiences this week. So I, I still have Xenoblade next to my switch ready to go but i told you guys this a couple of days ago i have put my back out bending over as if i was like 140 years old <laughs> it's it's been awful so i've had to focus on just like little bite-sized games because i yeah. have struggled to sit in place for that long so this week i've played uh, a bit of solitaire on the switch <laughs> which uh, is is maybe the most boring but also the most addictive game ever made <laughs> like I, I think you know everyone in the world played solitaire mindlessly on a windows pc at some point or you might have played it on real cards like a like a regular person might have done in the past but i've, I've actually enjoyed just having it there for the odd 10 minutes here and there and i picked up it was like called like the solitaire deluxe collection or something on, on the switch in the eShop sale for about 70p so it's got a few different modes a few different variants and it's not exciting it's it, there's literally nothing else to say about it other than the fact it is solitaire and it, it's it's as boring as anything but it's it's something that is quite fun i find it very very addictive just to, to do a few rounds and then just think well I'll put it down for now that's fine yeah i mean that's how 51 
worldwide classics gets its hooks into you. Yeah. Is it just, it does very, just nice, simple things very, very well. Very simply. I've also been playing in, in fits and starts because it, it suits that kind of just 10 minutes here and there approach. The original Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Oh, wow. And like, I, perhaps similar to, to you as well, Jonathan, the first 3D one I played was Tony Hawk's 3. Yeah. So that is the one that I, I know the best and I really, really love. But it's amazing how different the first and second ones feel if you do go back to them. Because the main change was that, like, as as it went on, like, three onwards, the, the games kind of became more expansive and they were sort of, like, bloated in terms of the features and the goal lists and the trick lists and everything else. But the, the original games had no manual, they had no revert, and it meant that in one, especially, it's more like playing a puzzle platform game. Because you're you're looking at the world, you're you're trying to think, okay, what what can I actually do to make a combo that's a few air tricks and then maybe onto a grind or something smaller like that, as opposed to a, a combo that can last eight minutes when you never touch the floor. <laughs> yeah. And 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 the sort of puzzle part is is more like you know what you need to do, but it's far more kind of like looking at the area and thinking, okay, well, how can I actually get that line together? Because I don't have these amazing stats to fly over buildings or anything as well. <laughs> so it's it's a more grounded experience and it's been really hard to unlearn like constantly tapping up down to do manuals but it's been quite fun like I'm sort of like five or six stages in now having got all the goals so far what are you playing it on? I'm playing the Dreamcast version through an emulator oh wow so it's kind of it's it's the shiniest version so it's it runs basically slightly better than the PS1 or N64 ones so it's yeah it's pretty nice and I think I wanted to play it as well, like before the remakes come out this year. I'm really keen to play those because they they retrofit like the revert and the manual in. So a lot of these stages will feel a bit more like the Tony Hawk's 3 onwards versions. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to see what the game is actually like, giving it proper time now, having never played it properly before. So yeah, it's, it's nice. And other than that, I, I've also played bits and pieces on the Evercade still. Still really enjoying that. Oh yeah, how's that going? It's really nice. And, and again, for having a, a busted back... It lets you use save states, oh, like nice, all, yeah. all the games you can just save your point at any point, uh, which is, you know, part of the course in, in regular emulators now. But it's meant that even something like, say, a side-scrolling beat-em-up, I can do a couple stages, think like, oh, back's a bit bit twingy, need to stand up for a bit, and I can just use a save state and then come back to it later. So, yeah, it's been fun to, to just have that as a little thing next to the bed as well. Still thoroughly recommended. Marvellous. How about you, Minty? What has your gaming week consisted of? My gaming week has consisted of two levels of Doom 64, and that's it. Really? <laughs> yes. So I thought to plump up my, uh, my my share of this little segment, I thought I would ask what Mrs Minty has been up to on our island. Oh! Please welcome to the stage, <laughs> Mrs Minty. Hello. Welcome. Yeah, tell us what you've been up to in Animal Crossing this uh, this last week. Well, my coup of Clog has taken over fully. I now am in charge of the entire island, <laughs> for the most part. I've recently taken up hunting DIY swaps on the turnip exchange. Oh yeah. I've become a bit of a fiend, especially <laughs> with lockdown. So yeah, it's basically like a virtual garage sale yeah where you can treasure hunt and since my work is painting so a lot of what i do for work is what people do to relax finding this as an alternative where i can basically do the adult version of creating dens and making fantasy worlds i can kit out this wonderful island one DIY swap at a time. That's lovely. I, uh, I apologise because I've introduced you to another website called Nookazon, which is basically Amazon for Animal Crossing. 
and it allows you to search for any item or recipe or thing in the game and somebody somewhere will be selling it or putting it up for auction for you know however many thousand bells or nook miles tickets or or anything and you can bid on that and find basically just find anything you want but yeah, I, I, I found myself just sinking into a massive knookers-on hole with it. Uh, <laughs> you basically transitioned from this charming game that you build your own world to, like, this intense gambling, like, auction house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I put in a couple of uh, bids for a gallant statue, which is the uh, David statue. Right. But I was denied those bids. I was outbid on those. For an authentic statue. Yeah, yeah, um, genuine gallant statue. That is a shame. See, I haven't gotten into it yet because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what <laughs> what I will become. <laughs> yeah. Well, go uh, go easy. Go easy into that into that good night. Marvelous. Well, thank you for that, Mrs. Minty. Thank you for letting me chat. Here he is back. Thank you. There we go. Back to me in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> so, shall we move on to the rankings? Yes. Number 34. Yeah, let's go for it. Starting this week, we have Minty's game. Mr. Booth. Okay, cool. Minty, can you please tell us what your 34th favourite video game is? I'd love to, yes. Thank you for asking. You're very welcome, sir. My 34th favourite video game has you travel to the four realms to restore a great network that draws spiritual energy from those realms and the temples that lay within to once again seal away a demonic power that has been awakened, possessing the physical form of a kidnapped maiden. Her soul torn from her body, this maiden, this wraith, accompanies you on your journey to retrieve artifacts of great power by flipping switches and floating through walls, possessing people, (laughs) all those fun ghostly shenanigans that we love to see from our non-corporeal friends. (laughs) This steampunk-inspired quest will see you team up with grotesque, half-organic, half-vehicular beings to restore peace to the land, efforts that culminate in defeating the Demon King after destroying his infernal locomotive and following him into the realm of darkness. I am, of course, talking about Zerudo no Dendetsu, Daichi no Kiteki, which is also known as The Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. Fantastic. <laughs> what a wonderful game. What a wonderful game. Oh, boy. I think this was this one was the second DS was, Zelda yeah. game, wasn't it? And, oh, wow, it's better than the first in the most important way. Yeah. The central dungeon, the Tower of Spirits, has been streamlined. God be praised that you don't have to go through the first few floors every single time on top of the new (laughs) ones that are unlocked as the game progresses. It's really nice to see a game franchise that listens to feedback from their fan base, Paper Mario. (laughs) (laughs) Much like Phantom Hourglass, the touchscreen is the main button in this game. Use it for movement, swing and link sword using items. It's great. It's intuitive. It's fun to use. The number of things you can do with it, it really is quite something. It's such a great showcase of what a touchscreen can do and the applications it has in gaming before like mobile gaming with smartphones was really a big thing for those of you who haven't played spirit tracks there isn't really an overworld to speak of it's 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 a, it's a network of train tracks that you can choo 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 your way along choo but watch choo. out <laughs> enemies might try and shoot you out of your train or you might come face to face with an evil train that tries to crash into you they're spooky and i don't like them each quarter of the map unlocks the basic routes to that realm's temple with a couple of places of interest along the way, like, you know, this quarter unlocks uh, the, I don't know, the fire realm, 
and the and it goes up to the fire temple now you can't get there yet so you need, you need to go to the fire village to solve clues and do puzzles and all the rest of it but as you complete side quests you can unlock more train tracks which lead to more places where treasure trinkets and materials abound it's a weird hybrid of open world and if you'll pardon the pun on rails exploration <laughs> and it works really really well it's, it's really thrilling getting a new bit of track and it leading to a section on the map the other feeling was hiding something good oh yeah and then you go there and it takes you to a sad man who wants you to populate his zoo with rabbits <laughs> <laughs> he's basically just a gimp with long ears and he's like I, I opened the zoo but I have no rabbits you'll see rabbits in the four realms uh, catch them for me and I'll reward you handsomely <laughs> much like how the jaguar is the real star of Inspector Morse the train is the real star of this game <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a particular highlight of the game for me is the Anuki village, whose residents are the Anuki, funnily enough, and they're funny little penguin half-reindeer people. They're in disarray, and they need, they need help getting into pairs to patrol the village to keep it safe from monsters. You need to pair them up according to their preferences, and unfortunately, prejudices. It's a nice little puzzle and showcases the touchscreen in a gentle way. You can jot down that Noko doesn't like Yeko's yellow coat, finds facial hair off-putting and slept with Kofu's husband, so he needs to be paired up with Bulu and such things as that. It's great. Lovely game, full of character, with a remarkable longevity, not only because it's it's like a, it, it, it's a big quest that uh, we love to see in our Zelda games, but also because just riding around on a train, it's fun. It is. It's just it's just fun to travel from hither to thither. Choo-choo! Does it do a little peep? I've not played it. It does. <laughs> so, the one thing I forgot to mention was you can get your train upgraded with, like, cosmetic changes that give you extra health and whatnot, but you also get, as the story progresses, you get new parts to the train, and one of them is a passenger car. Mm -hmm. So somebody might be like, uh, oh, I live in Anuki village, but I want to know what hot is. I want to know what hot weather is. Mm. So you have to drive them to the sand realm. And across the way, there are little signs, directions, and conditions that you need to obey. So you might uh, need to speed up for one section. You might need to slow down. And also, there are times when your passengers will want to hear the merry hoot of the train's whistle. <laughs> 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 it's great. It's an escort quest done well, actually, because you're not actually escorting yeah. them, so that you don't have to worry about the dreadful AI sort of, you know, wandering into a creek and dying. Yeah, they're just like, oh, you're going too fast. Whoa. My, my happiness meter has gone from green face to yellow face. <laughs> but if you toot when you see that sign, I'll go back up to big smile again. Pet me up with some peeps. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Honestly, you, you talking about the train stuff has sold me more on this game than, than any footage or coverage <laughs> that I've read about it or seen about it in the past. Honestly, it's so nice. It's, it borders on mindfulness. Yeah. It's just so... <laughs> mm, I love it. Take out the dungeons. Take out the dungeons. Mm. Take out the combat. Just a train going from village to village solving people's problems. I mean, it, it would still get 9 out of 10. It would. <laughs> I'd, I'd play that. I mean, I love the fact that in Phantom Hourglass, it transposed the feeling of, of sailing around the Great Sea from the Wind Waker onto obviously a tiny little handheld game. But it, it feels then like in Spirit Tracks, it felt more of, a, of an innovation rather than a compromise in mm, terms of a mode of yeah. transport. And yeah, it's, it's great. I know Sammy played it and absolutely loved it. 
the uh, the little train Zelda, she calls it. <laughs> That's it, yes. Oh. Well, there we go. Thank you for that, Minty. Lovely trip down memory lane for me, and uh, lovely trip to the train station for Chris. Beep, beep. Next, we have my game. Jonathan Dunn. My game this week is a game that I feel like I had quite a long road to. I originally played the port of it on the 3DS, but really wished that I'd got the full Wii U version. But then, my actual prayers were answered when a definitive edition of the game was announced and released on the Switch and fulfilled all my dreams Hello. for the game, which is, of course, <laughs> wow. Hyrule Warriors. Yes, it is. Fantastic. <laughs> for those of you who haven't heard of it and missed the episode where Chris had it featured as his 60th favourite video game of all time, <laughs> Hyrule Warriors is a Zelda-themed Dynasty Warriors game, essentially. Now, I've never played a Dynasty Warriors game, but they are pretty much fast-paced and chaotic action arcade games where you'll have control of a main hero to take on vast hordes of enemies whilst also trying to retain strategic control over the battlefield through occupying various forts and strongholds. And it's it's a brilliant fit for a Zelda skin because you've got an amazing lineup of heroes and anti-heroes and villains, a whole series worth of different weapons and abilities, every single biome under the sun to base battlefields around, like a general overall governmental structure that marries well with the idea of large forces and strongholds and also about like 30 years of rich and succulent law to draw on <laughs> oh yeah now with all of this incredible content to use you would initially think that there was going to be huge swathes of zelda history that would be abandoned to make way for a more streamlined video game experience but oh no <laughs> it is quite incredible that it's taken a third party approach to produce what is essentially the most comprehensive museum collection of all that has ever been created in the legend of zelda video game series in order to make this work the development team take several cunning approaches. Firstly, for the main story mode, there is a branching narrative that utilises rifts in time and space to collide the different Zelda timelines and dimensions, allowing characters, enemies and storylines from all the different games to coincide and interact in a cohesive way. And it shouldn't work. Like, it really, really shouldn't. When Nintendo produced the Hyrule Historia book of in air quotes, official Zelda history, they rather convolutedly tried to make a tangible timeline, or rather series of timelines, to link all of the games together. So you have the pre-Ocarina of Time games, which set the history of Hyrule, like Skyward Sword and the Minish Cap. Then you have the timeline-splitting event of Link's duel with Ganon in Ocarina of Time, whereby the games continue along splintered timelines depending on whether or not Link was defeated, whether or not he survived and stayed as a child, or whether he survived and sealed Ganon away as an adult. If I haven't said it before, I really don't think that this is necessary at all. <laughs> like, I think it's I think it's fine for the games to have solid links between them, with some obviously working as direct sequels like Majora's Mask to Ocarina of Time, or A Link Between Worlds to A Link to the Past, or having concurrent games like Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons, but... As far as I'm concerned, the games can just exist in the same video game universe and share common story beats, characters and threads, and, you know, there could be some lovely subtle lore built into the games to hint at events in other games or links to other characters, but that would be enough. Like, it doesn't need to be this big, coherent thing that's massively shoehorned into place. Like, I remember before Breath of the Wild came out, and this was the first Zelda game to come out after this official timeline had been established, and people were trying to speculate where that might fit into the timeline. And I think you, Minty, came up with the lovely idea that it could take place before Wind Waker 
and the outcome of Breath of the Wild would see the entire of Hyrule become flooded in a bid to stop Ganon. Yeah. That yeah. would have been really cool. And like a nice link between the games. That, that would have been a, a nice way of doing it. Well, we've got the sequel. It can still happen. Indeed. It could. It could. We'll see. Anyway, Hyrule Warriors didn't need to find a tangible link between all of the games for it to work. But it did, and it worked surprisingly well. And they they handled the franchise with an enormous amount of care and love and showed an attention to detail that even the most ardent, pig-headed Zelda fan couldn't turn their snout up at. It's a gammon pun. <laughs> Gammon. Gammon. <laughs> but the story mode, which featured a whole bunch of content, including the additional side narratives to play as Ganondorf to see his side of the story, was only the tip of the iceberg. Probably around... 20, 25 hours of play in those with various secrets to find in the different levels, different rankings of scores to get. You could easily have been happy with just that as a core game and you would consider your money suitably worthed. Chris also mentioned this when he spoke about the game, but it's worth reiterating just how much bloody content there is in the game. Oh, it's crazy. Like multiple adventure modes. Adventure mode had all of these maps and for each map in this mode there were at least 100 levels with its own individual parameters, clear goals, characters, setups, enemies. And it was, I mean, to be honest, quite overwhelming. But the way the maps looked was was great. The, the first one is based on the original overworld map from the Legend of Zelda game, and each screen of the map equated to one level. And in these levels, there were also loads of collectibles, new weapons, armor for your characters, loads of secrets and score rankings as well to keep you coming back for more. And then there were several of these maps which would be themed around the different Zelda games from the series, like Link's Awakening, and there's a Wind Waker one, and an Oracle of Ages and Seasons one, and a Twilight Princess one, and a Spirit Tracks one, as Minty was just talking about, and a Link Between Worlds one. I mean, I can't quite believe how much there is in this game. It is... I mean, just absolutely twat-packed with content. (laughs) (laughs) Outside of, like, a freemium game or, or like, a life sim, this game has to have the most curated content of any game I've I've ever played. And looking it up on how long to beat, it reckons it's about 400 hours to 100% the game. Easily, yeah. I've resigned myself to never doing. (laughs) Now, like I said at the beginning, I, I had a bit of a long road to it because... It was well. It was you, Chris, that convinced me to get it on the 3DS, yeah. and and I'm really, really glad you did because you said it was it was a better fit in terms of its pickup and playability, and I I, I think I probably wouldn't. Well, I, I didn't put any time into it on the Wii U because I think you had it, Minty, didn't you, in the I house? Did indeed. Yes, yes. I, I watched you play a bit of it, but I was like, oh, you know, I, I was I was I was okay to sort of let it let it pass. But even though it looked a lot poorer than the Wii U, it played incredibly well on the 3DS. I mean, especially the new 3DS. Yeah. Because apparently it chugged along worse than either the engine's arthritic grandmother <laughs> on the original 3DS. <laughs> the, the issue as well, the original 3DS was it just couldn't render any enemies. <laughs> so it was, yeah. it was the difference between being like, oh, it's reasonably packed out when you played it on the new 3DS. Yeah. Or having like almost one-on-one battles on the regular. <laughs> and like I said, the good, like the fast arcade action worked really well with 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 it on a handheld i I remember playing it in a hotel room in north wales whilst i was up there for for a week teching a conference for the church in wales and the i mean veritable boudoir decor of this bread and breakfast in flandudno will always be tied in (laughs) with those memories of of hyrule warriors legends but once i'd been drawn in by its incredibly addictive satisfying fun gameplay I did then kind of wish that I had opted for the Wii U version so I could see it in all of its HD shining glory, even though it would have meant 
foregoing the exclusive adventure mode maps to the 3DS version. So when the Switch started announcing DX versions of Wii U games, from day one, I had been banging on about Hyrule Warriors port and was told that yeah, it was unlikely, it wasn't going to happen, but I just, I wanted one. I wanted a proper HD version of like the 3DS content, all of the other DLC that came with the Wii U game, just combined into one lovely, amazing package. And needless to say, who's next? needless to say i was absolutely beside myself when it was announced i pre-ordered it as soon as i could and at the stroke of midnight on the day it was released i decided i couldn't wait until morning to get it so i bought it on the e-shop and downloaded it and it took like an hour and a half to download on my dreadful internet at the time and it was about two o'clock in the morning and i played it for about 30 minutes and went to bed but like it felt worth it and it was it was everything i could ever have dreamed of like carving your way through waves of moblins and gorons never felt or looked so good I had no problem playing through the main story mode again to completion and then I had all of those lovely adventure maps waiting for me as well and I wasted no time diving straight in to tackle the Wind Waker one which was just wonderful and being able to run around the world of the Wind Waker on the Switch is something that I wouldn't like to be reserved for this game exclusively Nintendo <laughs> please get a move on Port Wind Waker HD Twilight Princess HD please feel free to throw in Skyward Sword as well which I know will take a lot of work but it would make me happy and I'd buy it so surely it's worth £30 <laughs> I'm not sure how many hours I, I put into the 3DS version probably about 60-70 hours and I, I've put in over 100 hours on the Switch version and yet I've still got three characters to unlock out of about 30 I've completed the first adventure map about 97% the Great Sea Wind Waker map about 98% and the Master Quest versions of both of those about 20% each and I haven't even touched the other five full maps that are in there, so I still have an enormous amount to do in the game, and I, I'm so glad that I did buy it digitally, because it just sits very patiently and nicely on my Switch at all times for me to pick up and, and dip into now and again. I must say, like one of the really nicely designed things about the game is its, its menu system, which I know is it's a bit of a weird note for me to, uh, to sort of wrap up on, and also a weird thing to praise as well, and I know that a lot of people said that they thought the game was too menu heavy, but I found it to be, you know, pretty straightforward, pretty intuitive, and so well thought out, so you can navigate through the game and the modes and always know what you're doing, what's left to do, and how to do it. So you can sell weapons and items that you find, convert them into experience points to level your characters up, you can use amiibos to unlock even more content, you can collect and nurture fairies in the game to give you some added bonuses. On each of the main story levels you can see really really clearly what difficulty settings you beat it on, which character or weapon loadout you need to use to find the hidden sculpture or heart pieces in that level, and the adventure maps are really easy to navigate to see what items you need to unlock to open the next mission or what score you need to have gotten, where to pick up those items, which character you need to play as, which character has bonus items hidden in which levels. It's just, it's very, very comprehensively done and and, and I'm, I'm glad because in a game that was a smaller size, a lot of that stuff would seem quite hand-holdy, but in this, it feels like just a gentle guide in an otherwise <laughs> overwhelming amount of content. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if I'll ever 100% the game. No. Probably not. Having said that, it is incredibly good to play in co-op, which does allow you to sort of double the amount of things you're unlocking. So maybe once lockdown is over, perhaps I can convince a willing friend to come over for a few fresh seshes at this absolute 
banger of a game. Hyrule Warriors, brilliant. Excellent game. Love it so much. I think for value proposition, it's got to be one of the best games on the Switch. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's easily dismissed as a as just a spin-off. My friend Yoan recently said, when I said he should he should look into getting it, he was like, isn't it just like a spin-off like Link's crossbow training? <laughs> and the answer I gave was no. Um, <laughs> and I resisted the temptation to say, it's going to be in my list. But hopefully when he hears this, he'll now, because he's got a Wii U, yeah. hopefully now he'll go, and, he'll go and buy it. Because Yoan, you should. And then tell us what you think of it. Please do. And enjoy it. And love it. So finally... We have Chris's game. Chris, can you please tell us about your 34th favourite video game of all time? Hope it's a Zelda game. (laughs) (laughs) Today's game is not a Zelda game, but it is a Nintendo game. So there's a bit of a link. And it is a game that I think defines a lot of what first-party Nintendo has done for many years. And that is prioritise the way a game feels over the way a game looks. Yeah. Like obviously we've got the Switch now. The Switch is is essentially competing or, or head to head with the, the PS4 and the Xbox One and, and soon their successors. It's it's much less powerful than those machines, and yet the vast majority of their first party output I have enjoyed personally an awful lot more than the first party output of, of either Microsoft or Sony. Some recent examples of, of Nintendo doing this really well. Does something like Splatoon have anti-aliasing? No. But does it run at a flawless 60 frames a second? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Does Xenoblade Chronicles run at a native resolution? No. Does it still manage to feel like pretty much the most expansive world in, in video games? Yes. <laughs> and does, does Mario Odyssey act as like a visual showcase for the Switch? Not particularly. It's quite nice looking, but it's, it's not great. But does it feel snappier and more responsive than every other game ever made? Pretty much. <laughs> now, Minty, you, you've said a few times in episodes how the jump to 3D for, for developers posed lots of teething problems. Mm. So you've got like RPGs and platformers and sports games and, and all these like established genres in 2D. Suddenly we're really suffering because developers were struggling to sort of take what had been established and then move them into the 3D space. And I think one of the only genres that really came through that transition unscathed and just worked from day one was racing games because having the added depth of a 3D world made them better, just immediately better. And so we come to today's game, which is F-Zero X on the N64. Hey. Oh, wow. And it is a, a showcase of speed above graphical prowess, like for sure. And it's a game that iterated and improved on pretty much everything the SNES original had tried to do. Not that that was a bad game. It's just F-Zero X was almost infinitely better. The N64, for all of its power, because it was a, a decent machine for the time, had many issues and everything that it did well seemed to have some caveat. So it had solved like the warping texture issues of, of the PS1 and Sega Saturn. So like when me and Jonathan have talked about Panzer Dragoon Saga recently, we've mentioned like the, the textures almost like wobbling on characters' faces and things in the background just because that's how, how the tech was. But the N64 had such low memory bandwidth and used such aggressive filtering that you couldn't see any textures anyway. It just looked like a smeary mess in most games. <laughs> the N64 could render big chunky sprites really well. And yet no one could really build a game in this style because storage space on the big proprietary carts was so small. So again, we saw very, very few 2D games. It had four controller ports built into the console, yet had a processor that struggled to render four viewpoints of a 3D game. <laughs> so, you, so you had things like GoldenEye Battles running at like single digit frame rates. <laughs> and F-Zero X, when, when that was being developed, I can only imagine Nintendo went, okay, how, how do we solve these problems? And they sort of looked at it and went, okay, you know, textures are quite important, but... I don't think we really need them. And they just built the whole game around just being fast. Yeah. And they basically chucked everything else out and just optimized it to the point where it feels great to play. 
It's a futuristic racing game, if you've never played F-Zero, but it's you know a reasonably common one that most people would have heard of by now, I would imagine. Tracks are constructed from floating highways or tunnels to travel through or tubes to travel over. There's big jumps over kind of big, huge abysses. You've got cities in the background and below that are rendered very cost-effectively by just having like a tiny texture repeated infinitely. The vehicles, you can choose from 30, so it seems like you've got this great choice. They're all distinct, but essentially are just built with flat shaded polygons. So one might be chunky, one might be pointy, one's pink and has some green on it, one's green and has some pink on it. <laughs> there's, there's nothing special, it doesn't matter. They're, they're just functional things to allow you to play this fast racing game. And the payoff for all these decisions, like I've said, is a game that runs at blistering pace no matter what you're doing. So you can play the solo campaign, you can play split screen with four players and, and see no penalty in performance. You can play the death race, which is like a last man standing battle royale that frequently will have almost the full field of 30 cars on screen at the same time and it still doesn't doesn't miss a frame. Now, my, my dad has very little interest in games generally. <laughs> and he came up in our very first episode when I talked about Bomber Raid as a game that I have fond memories of him playing. But he also has to come up here because F-Zero-X was one of the only games he ever played when I was growing up and he played it a lot. So I, I asked him the other night, I said, what, what do you remember from F-Zero? And his only words were, it was fast, that one, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Bang on, Nick. And that sums it all up because it is a game that's just about going fast. In the UK, we're obviously in the UK, so we were running on PAL CRT screens back then with the N64. It means that our version of F0X ran at 50 frames a second because of how our TV works. In America, in the US, it was a full 60, so theirs was slightly faster. And that discrepancy is purely down to TV refresh rates, like I said, just the tech of the time. Like I can imagine that if F0X was running uncapped, it could basically kind of climb into the stratosphere with its frame rate in the same way that the speed of your craft does as soon as you pull away from the start line it's just it's a very very slick game engine it's really fun to play as well so being fast on its own is obviously great but you need to have some game behind it and as kind of like a futuristic racing game you have your little hovercraft type thing that you're that you're driving or, or flying along the track you're obviously trying to win races vying for first place you're having to manage your boost carefully, like a risk-reward thing, as, as your boost gauge is also your health. So if you get hit too much when you're on low health, obviously you'll, you'll fail and retire the track. You can bully other racers into the walls by kind of like using the shoulder button or the, the Z button under the controller to kind of push into them. You can top up your boost by driving through sort of pink pit areas at the edge of each stretch of track. It's all really simple stuff, but it's just done really, really well. And... That's because, like like I keep saying, it's the sensation of speed is what will draw you back in. Like, it's a fun racing game, but it is the speed that is is just not really matched by anything else. And I think the first time I've, I've played something since then that was as fast, but still allowed me as much control, so I didn't feel like it was too fast, was probably when I was playing Wipeout in VR that I mentioned a few weeks ago. Yeah. Because it, it replicates the speed, especially when you're, when you're wearing a VR headset, but also the responsiveness of F-Zero. Like, it, it just seems crazy that it took the, that jump in technology to match that feeling of acceleration of a game that's now, like, 20-plus years old. There are games that are faster. Like, when Minty talked about F-Zero GX, I think that is yeah. a quicker, faster game. Also very fast game. Very fast game. <laughs> and on the Switch, <laughs> if anyone's played Fast RMX or Fast Remix or however it's called, that's another game that is ludicrously fast. That's a fast game as well. <laughs> Yeah. But for me, like, I don't have any control in these games. The, the small amount of time I've played GX for and the small amount of time I've played, I've played Fast RMX for, 
I'm not good enough at those speeds. <laughs> and I'm sure people can get good at them. I'm sure people are very, very good at these games. But F-Zero X was like a sort of upper cap, like a skill ceiling for me, where my skills and my reaction times were, were good enough for that game. That was like the peak of what I could do and still feel like, whoa, this is a this is a blisteringly fast thing. And it's, it's real like adrenaline rush gaming. Whereas these other games that I've just mentioned are just like slightly on the wrong side of that line for me. It makes it more frustrating because I can see what I'm supposed to do and yet I'm still missing corners and, and crashing into things and I just don't have the same control. It is a racing game. There's, there's not that much you can say about a racing game. There's no story. There's no kind of like real characters to latch onto, even if you have kind of poster people like Captain Falcon and things like that. But a few highlights from from what I remember playing this game over the years. I remember like the first time I managed to, to boost for basically an entire lap, avoiding all <laughs> collisions, drifting around corners, incorporating the little pit strips into my racing line and thinking like, this is incredible. I'm driving. The game is telling me at over a thousand kilometers an hour. This, this is this is something special. I remember the first time I saw the tracks that had like a big jump from somewhere that was really high down to really low, and the way that it had the sort of audio and visual effects to really emphasize the speed at which you're dropping down to earth or, or down to this track. That kind of noise as you're like flying down. I remember finally unlocking the the last cup in the game that would then just create track designs on the fly. So it was always different. Oh, wow. And at the time, I remember like the teenage me saying, you basically never need to play another racing game again. (laughs) 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 Even though, as we know from a lot of procedurally generated stuff now, generally randomized elements are never quite as much fun as as curated stuff. (laughs) I remember um, beating one of the staff ghosts on, on the track called Silence, which is just like a large loop that basically requires you to essentially boost the entire three lap race. That again, it just felt so good to master. It was something that I got better and better at until I could do it. And then that was a real like winning moment. And also it had like a screaming metal soundtrack, which was really like out of place for the N64, as well as a, a screaming announcer, which had this amazing, <laughs> amazing kind of like burst of enthusiasm, which incredibly was was brought out of retirement for the Mario Kart 8 F-Zero DLC. Oh, brilliant. So he, he features in those tracks. And it's just really good. Like F-Zero is a franchise I really, really like. And the Mario Kart inclusion made it feel like maybe there was going to be a new F-Zero on the horizon. Mm. So back back on the Wii U, it was like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. Like Captain Falcon's in Smash. That's exciting. He's still there. He's still still big name. And then there was an F-Zero track sort of uh, mini game in Nintendo Land at the Wii U's launch. And it really felt like this This is coming. It's, it's building. And yet still in 2020, we've not had anything. Yeah. It's a series which I think Nintendo have just forgotten about for whatever reason. F-Zero X is a very fast game in a very fast series. And despite it looking like it did, it is a game that made the N64 feel like the most powerful machine in the universe. (laughs) And it still holds up. It still feels fast. It still looks... Well, it it doesn't look of its time because it didn't look of its time at the time. (laughs) It looked looked quite bad at the time. But for that reason, it's actually held up as like almost a stylistic thing. Yeah, Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. One of my favorite N64 games. Certainly one of my favorite racing games. And like I said, with that final cup, never need to play another one again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. F-Zero GX would have been wasted on you. Yeah. Already played them all. (laughs) Already played every version. I loved F-Zero GX. (laughs) I never played F-Zero X, but F-Zero GX was too fast for me. Yeah. Yeah, this is what I think. (laughs) And I had Extreme G3 on the GameCube as well, which was, again, like I I could do it on the lowest speed setting, but anything above that was just... I just I don't know how I don't know how you did it. I'm, I'm watching a little YouTube video now of somebody doing one of the expert cups on F Zero GX. And, yeah. uh, no, no, 
no, you need to be either have the gift of foresight or <laughs> be a savant. The gift of the Monado. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Shulk would be fine. He would. Oh, that's a mashup I'd like to see. Mm. Imagine doing it like a, an F-Zero racetrack all over the Bionis. Oh. oh, Super Crash Brothers. Back to that again. Exactly. Come on. Exactly. Or F-Zero Xenoblade. <laughs> <laughs> It works. It does. So there we have it. Another three games. First of all, we had... The Legend of Zelda, Spirit Tracks. <laughs> and then we had Hyrule Warriors. Before finally... F-Zero, the letter X. F-Zero 10. <laughs> <laughs> Never let anyone say that we're biased towards Nintendo. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do like and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Please do share it on social media that really really means a lot to us when we see that happen and it really does help get some new listeners in as well so please do share it if you're enjoying it you can reach out to us on social media we're on facebook facebook.com forward slash hour three cents you can chat to us there about these games games that you're playing you can even ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode or suggest ideas for bonus episodes that we may produce down the line we'd love to hear from you you can also reach out to us individually i'm on twitter at jonathan dunn i am always on twitter at Chaz underscore Hodges and I am Clement underscore Boo and please do check out our YouTube channel we've got the Super Mario Maker playthrough of my Super World coming very very soon Soon. and it's going to be great it's going to be great Chris has got some other little videos in the works as well so subscribe to that channel and if you're really really liking what we're doing please do head over to patreon.com forward slash our three cents throw a few cents at us for a lot more content and we'd really really love that but until next time we shall see you somewhere that's not here. Fairly well. Bye. Bob hey, Bob. of Khan, CEO and editor-in-chief over at ShackNews.com. Give a listen to our 9 to 5 Elon podcast about Tesla and electric vehicles and all sorts of cool stuff over there on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Video Death Loop is a podcast where we watch a short video clip on loop until we just can't take it anymore. Along the way, we'll try our best to make each other laugh and to hold out longer than the other guy. You can jump in on any episode, no need to worry about continuity. Check out Video Death Loop on the Greenlit Podcast Network with new episodes every Friday.